Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to dive into the letter that was written by Jude. Uh, we often call it the Book of Jude, but the truth is it's a one-page letter that would be written as, as many years ago. It's just before the Book of Revelation, so if you make it to Revelation chapter 1, just back up one and you're there with Jude. Father, we thank you for the blessing of this opportunity to be able to rejoice together in the Word of God as revealed to us through Jude, or Judas, the half-brother of Jesus today. Well, thank you and praise you for everything that we receive, and ask that blessing upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Pay no attention to the changes in my voice and the things of that nature. I'm battling with the old common cold today and yesterday it really took hold today it's been at war and i'm sure that we'll deal with it tomorrow as well so let us rejoice in the word of god and see what he has for us today it says jude a bond servant of jesus christ and brother of james to those who are called sanctified by god the father and preserved in jesus christ mercy peace and love be multiplied to you uh, fantastic introduction that Jude gives us. Of course, this is a nickname. This is a shortened name of his actual true name, which is Judas. This Judas is not the same as Iscariot, which means betrayer. This isn't the Judas that betrayed Jesus as he's already hung himself and is gone. This is Judas, the half-brother of Jesus, who is also brother to James. James being the, the letter that James wrote, the book of James, we studied just a couple, about a month ago or so. This same James being brother to Judas and being connected to Jesus, you can imagine their, their uh, closeness to the Savior. Now, a beautiful point that is made in this first verse right here is this concept of bondservant. Now, you'll also find it written in the good old King James is without the bond on it, just Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. This word servant is doulos, and, and it's a really exciting Greek term, doulos, because it, it means a slave, but not one that was of his own free will. This, this particular type of slavery is voluntary. This, this was to be subject yourself to, or to subject yourself to. This recognizes a position of subserviency that is voluntary. And so the doulos... Uh, in this case would be one that is voluntary is one that has surrendered themselves to a king as becoming a subject to that king and subservient to his rule and so this is a very important point that is made is that it is necessary for us the church to volunteer ourselves as bond servants and if if we refuse to have jesus to be our king or we refuse subserviency to our lord jesus christ then what is written after this makes no difference it's exactly the same thing as what we discovered when we studied james chapter one as james introduces himself in the exact same way as a bond servant of jesus christ meaning that the that james who by the way was an apostle as well as Jude here, we find that they 
they wholly surrendered themselves to the leadership of Jesus Christ as their king. And so that they would follow him, even if it meant their death. And it did mean their death. Many, all of these apostles, Jude and, and James, all of them faced a martyr's death except for John. And it wasn't because the the country of Rome didn't desire his death. And it wasn't for the fact that Israel wanted him dead as well. It's just that God had another plan for him. And this is another important point we have, is that in the realm of God's plan, nothing can happen to you, nothing can befall you to to change or alter the course of God's will. So it's really exciting to know as a child of God that, that according to God's will, with the gospel living in you, that nothing can stop you until God's plan be, be fulfilled in you. Well, needless to say, Throughout the apostles, we've seen some fairly gruesome deaths. We've seen some fairly gruesome uh, uh, martyrs that, that, would, that would come from these apostles, but even to the point of John. I mean, it's it's never a good thing to be thrown into a boiling pot of oil and, and expect to be able to live. I mean, the burns that the body would suffer and the... And the the, the intensity of pain that John would have to face and live through while his his body is trying to heal after that didn't kill him. He was exiled to an island called Patmos. And there, uh, I think that, that much of the revelation was given unto John simply to separate him from the body of this death because of the amount of pain that John was having to face with, with all of the scalding burns that he had to live in. But John was a faithful bondservant, and John was going to, to do whatever it took to serve his Lord, no matter the cost. And that's exactly what Jude is saying when he says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm going to do whatever it costs. Now, for modern-day Christianity, this is something that is wholly unfamiliar to us because we've, we've lived in a land that has allowed us to have all of the pleasures of our flesh, the pleasures of our eyes, and the pride of life. So we're wholly unfamiliar with being a bondservant to much at all except for sin. We're very familiar with being a bondservant to sin because we often surrender ourselves to those things which are of our lust or those things which bring us pleasure. And rarely do those things intersect with the Lord Jesus Christ or with the work of the church. And so we'll find ourselves often separated from God, separated from the church, separated from the work of the Lord, in fulfilling our own pleasures, and thus we we meet with God when it becomes convenient for us instead of surrendering those things which we would want to do to serve the Lord. And none of this will make sense to us as being a bondservant to Jesus Christ because we're already bondservants to those pleasures that we have and that we have willingly surrendered ourselves to those pleasures and desires. We've willingly uh, accepted in in many ways with without us voluntarily thinking about it we've willingly accepted the the circumstances or the consequences of those pleasures just to enjoy them for a period of time only to discover that when those pleasures take their toll when when those pleasures call the the tune we then recognize them and say, I don't want this. I don't like this. I, I 
don't want to go in this direction. I don't want to have to face this illness or disease. I don't I don't want to be in this position in life. <clears throat> it's too late. Those things have gripped us and the consequences of our actions for the last 20 or 30 years are going to catch up to us in in one day. And we're going to discover that we chose the wrong thing to be bond servant too. We should have been serving Jesus. We would have been on the right path had we served Jesus. We would have been in the right direction had we served Jesus. We would have done great work had we served Jesus. And our life would be preserved had we served Jesus. Now, the preservation of life, as I'm saying, doesn't mean that we wouldn't face disease in our life. Uh, got a cold right now. It doesn't mean that we wouldn't face a lot of the challenges or even martyrdom as it was. Uh, many of these disciples and many disciples throughout the ages have, have been dealt with as martyrs because the world around them didn't know Jesus and didn't like the idea of being wrong. So that there are many who have been killed for the faith in Christ. But the preservation of this life that is is the relationship with Jesus Christ as you can see that becoming a bond servant of Jesus is becoming sanctified by God the Father is becoming preserved in Jesus Christ now it only works this way if you you truly have surrendered your life to Jesus it only works this way if you have truly surrendered your heart to God lest you be a bond servant then then it just doesn't work any other way. And that's a tough challenge for people to have to face because they would like both worlds. They would like the best of both worlds as it was. They would love to be sanctified by God. They would love to be preserved in Jesus Christ, but they would also love to be able to have the pleasures of this life and the pleasures of their their old and earthly ways. They would they would love to be able to blend the two together so that you can have the the assurance and the security of eternal life while playing the fool and enjoying the things on earth. So we often kind of um, bring ourselves to a, a justification of sources of of trying to say, well, um. You know, in, in Christ, I'm secured eternally. So so even if I do these bad things, that they aren't going to be able to count against me because I've already been covered by the blood. So I'm okay. So I can, I can have my salvation, but then go back away from God and get back into the things of this world. And at the end of all things, I might get a little spanking or a little censuring, but it isn't going to count against me to the point that I would be cast into hell. So let's go with this Jesus thing, and then we can go back into the ways of the world. There's a problem with that. The problem is, is that surrendering to Christ unto salvation is surrendering your life to the Lord. That's why a lot of people say uh, to bring Jesus into your life or invite Jesus into your life it's because you're going to surrender your life unto the Lord. And then there's another camp of people that say it's not your life. You've got to surrender your heart to Jesus. But it's actually both. It's actually both. It's funny how one camp, like the Calvinist camp, would say your heart and the, the Arminian camp would say your life. 
when the reality is your life must be surrendered to Jesus because you you are willingly taking upon yourself the the position of bondservant to Jesus as your king to serve him subject and subservient but you're also giving your heart to God by faith in the work that was done through God in the death of Christ Jesus that his blood be shed for the remission of your sins so that your mind is transformed by the renewing of God's power through the Holy Spirit to know his will and your life is surrendered to reveal that will will through your life in the, in the service of your king so it's actually both instead of one or the other, uh, which then becomes the logical fallacy of false dichotomy is presenting it one way or the other, but it can't possibly be both ways when the reality is is that you've got to surrender your life to Jesus and you've got to surrender your heart to God in order for anything that Jude has to say or anything that James has to say to make any sense at all. So yes, we've spent a great deal of time talking about this concept of being a bond servant, but I just don't think that there are a lot of modern day Christians who really grasp that concept. This would not be something complicated for the, the 17th century or the 18th century European to understand because they live their lives subject to a crown. They live their lives as bond servant from one king to another king. They understood quite well what it meant to be a bond servant as that you had any other alternative. Actually, the the same doulos that I was revealing that means a willing subject to to an authority to a king also represents an unwilling subject. And many people throughout the kingdoms, even of England at one point of time had a king that they truly appreciated that they would serve and that they would be honorable to and then they would have a king or a queen such as Mary <laughs> uh, who who was bloodthirsty and wicked and evil and they, they had to serve them unwillingly but it didn't change the fact that, that a people during European ages of the 15th and 19th centuries they understood well what it meant to be a servant, but there in the 17th century when when the colonists began to escape the European monarchs and, and come to this the shores of this new land, they, they separated themselves from the monarchy and refused refused to be under the heavy hand of anything any monarch to the point where when we would formulate our own government in the 17 1780s 17 late 1776 the revolutionary war about 1780 you're forming your own government that that George Washington refused to be a monarch he refused to be a king he wouldn't have a government of this nature and in many ways, we thank God for that, for we have the freedoms that we, we still have to this day under the longest living constitution of any nation that exists in the whole wide world. Uh, praise God for our constitution is about 245 years old. So hallelujah, that's, that's fantastic. But we find that with that, Satan has had his playground within the hearts of this nation, within the heart of this nation, the hearts of this people. And 
we find that we don't understand what it means to be bondservant anymore. At one time, we were well familiar with the concept, even even from our earlier decades, even from our earlier generations, a century ago even, was understood what it meant to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. But since then, we've, we've played the fool, even in the church. I think especially in the church, we've played the fool. We've turned the gospel of Jesus Christ into a gospel of entertainment. We've flip-flopped on on major truth we've we've eliminated the necessity of repentance we've changed those those powerful doctrines of the bible into liquidated doctrines of however you feel and we've increased our our time for music and and light shows and everything else we've 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 not been faithful he says in verse number three Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I think it interesting that in verse number 3, you you have this scenario here where he says, "I, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, and and uh, you'll find in, in like the King James Bible, he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto, uh, unto you of the common salvation. And this, this very point is, he was, this while I was very diligent to write to you. In other words, in, in the midst of writing to you about our common salvation... You know, this is something that that was going to be the thesis of what what Jude's letter was originally going to uh, contain. Rather, he was going to commend the people that he was writing to, or rather, he was going to censure or chastise the people that he was writing to. He said, while I was diligent in my writing to you concerning our common salvation, he, he turned the page. He said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, that that is a fantastic word, contend. As you see this word contend right here, this word is is very much meaning is to struggle for, is, is to earnestly fight for is what this word contend would bring to us and and that he say you should earnestly struggle for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints and you say well why why would you struggle like why would this be a struggle this faith is so powerful that brings you to the knowledge of salvation that that it shouldn't be something that would be much of a fight that would be put up at all because praise the lord You've come to the faith. You've you've entered into Christ. I mean, what what more could a person ask for? How could you struggle with this? I mean, this is so great a salvation. In fact, that Jude would make known it's a common salvation. In other words, it, it's it's so average. It's so normal among the people. Like that that the common salvation is the same for the Jew as well it is for the Gentile, for the bond as well as it is for the free, for the for for all mankind. Salvation is common. It is given unto us the same. Its power is the same. Its deliverance is the same. Everything about our salvation is the same because it's the same God who provided the same 
escape from sin and and from death who who will bring us together in Christ the same way so it's common salvation this was something that that Jude was really wanting to tell people about but he had to shift gears because there are people who who are trying to alter the message of salvation even in their day even in even in these days before the first century even you'll find that these people well during the first century i suppose as we mark centuries during the first century you will find these people already from the death of jesus at 33 a.d who are going about changing the the way of history changing the way of the work of christ changing the way of god's work unto salvation i mean they're 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 altering everything and so much that that here jude is telling you you've got to fight for this thing like you 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 have to study to show yourself approved unto god so that you can understand the truth from the word of god's perspective because there's going to be a lot of people saying a lot of different things and you've got to be out there ready to fight for this thing you've got to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints now this word saint is really exciting because this word saint is the word hagios and this word means holy ones it means holy so saints as as was referred these are the people and these by the way are the common people who have received the common salvation who are common servants of the lord they are called hagios and and what this represents is the sacred they are the the literally holy things they're the they're the holy ones the consecrated ones of the lord and that's what you are that's exactly what you are as you have come to the lord jesus christ to be your lord and savior and you have have surrendered your heart and life as bond servant to the king you've become that which is sacred unto the king you've become that which is consecrated are set apart for the pleasure of the king you have become his holy ones his holy things as it was you belong to jesus and so his righteousness emanates from you his will comes out from you his his presence his holiness shines in you for you have surrendered to him you belong to him it's very important to understand that this is how we can be called the saints in christ jesus is because when we have surrendered our life to his service and our heart to god then their righteousness will be found in us their presence will be known through us will be seen in us their connection to the world will be lived out through you and the gospel message which you shall proclaim and the whole world wherever you are will know that they are present because you are there and that is being one of his holy ones that is being one of his consecrated sons or daughters that's being a part 
of Jesus. And so that he would carry us down and he would tell us, he said, for there are certain men crept in unaware who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into the lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have this great battle between Arminius and and John Calvin at this point. It's pretty exciting uh, from the Calvinist perspective to the Arminian perspective. So, in verse number four, you see that certain men have crept in unnoticed, as as the New King James would refer it to. They've crept in unnoticed. And the reason why these people have crept in unnoticed is because uh, what is revealed, let's, let's read a little something over in 2 Corinthians, I believe it is. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. In this place... Paul would be speaking about false prophets. He would be speaking about false apostles. So in, in the letter of Jude, you've got this battle with false false people. And then we're going to get Paul's perspective of false people. So beginning in verse number 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, Paul goes on to say, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you, you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have not betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin, virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested uh, to you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you, and indeed I was a burden to no one for what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you, God knows. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded, just as we are in all things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. And so you hear it right here from the Apostle Paul, just as what the the Apostle Jude, or Judas as it was, was, was referring to in the letter of Jude. 
is that there are false apostles that are out there. And this is one of the reasons why it's so necessary to contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. It's one of those reasons why we are called from Paul to study, to show ourselves approved. It's one of those reasons why Jesus and the writer of Hebrews would both say, search out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's why why so many others throughout the, the gospel era would tell you to to consider your own salvation to be to regularly be considering your heart before God is because of this very truth is that there are false apostles that are out there not too long ago a couple of weeks back I understood there was going to be a tent meeting of a church in in a particular area in North Dakota so I I said let's go check it out and see what what's going on with it and when we got there, we, we discovered a false apostle. We discovered a false minister who masked himself as a minister of righteousness. And, and very rarely did he speak the name of Jesus, but still he tried to incorporate Jesus into this thing. And, and he was doing all kinds of trying to perform signs and wonders, performing miracles, but the reality is, is he was so false, it was disgusting. He was forcing people to sit down in chairs, as claiming that they were overwhelmed by the Spirit. He was, he was doing all manner of things that, that would be very much ungodly and not according to the Scripture. And so that he was revealed a false prophet. And my family and I, we hightailed it out of there. I mean, it was, it was a disgusting abuse of the reality of Christ. But just as we see in Jude, just as we see here in, in 2 Corinthians, he'll receive his award, <laughs> a reward, as it was, it said, whose end will be according to their work. So you'll, you'll get what's coming to you if you don't get right with God. That's for certain. So I don't have to worry about that aspect except to warn you guys of the reality of, of what can exist before you. How many false apostles or false ministers that, that are out there that are seeking a paycheck, that are seeking accolades, that are seeking fame, that are seeking power, that are seeking authority over a people. There are multitudes of false ministers out there, and they make themselves out to be the ministers of Christ. They make themselves out to be ministers of righteousness, and it shouldn't surprise us because Satan himself transforms himself first number 14 and second corinthians 11 into an angel of light so it, it shouldn't surprise us but in in the the letters of first corinthians and second corinthians you'll find the apostle paul writing these letters as a censure against the activities and the and the things that are happening at the church at corinth because this people are not being faithful to to the gospel they're not being faithful to uh, the true teachings of the word of god they're they're bringing in a lot of different ideologies and they're absorbing themselves within the community that they're in instead of absorbing the community and the gospel of christ and and they are becoming manipulated they are becoming corrupt whereas these letters are written by paul to try and draw that corruption out to try and get them back on the right path in verse number three uh, paul says i fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived eve by his craftiness so your minds 
may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, this very point is being made with Jude as concerning the common salvation is that simplicity that is in Christ. And, and in verse number four, as now we're back over in the, in the book of Jude, verse number four, it says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, understand this point that they were marked out for this condemnation long ago. They were recognized ungodly men. Now, to the Calvinist perspective, this would be referred to as a people who's, who had been predetermined to this direction in life and that they didn't have any other course in their creation or in their gener generation than to perform these things that they were born this way with a totality of depravity and that the Holy Spirit would not come upon them to convict them unto change and so that they were destined for hell that they would be born to die so to speak and the 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 extremist view of Calvinism is in fact that there are those born for hell and there are those destined for heaven that the determination has already been made by God as the souls come into the earth, and that those there there can be one who who is destined for hell and one who is destined for heaven who may never hear the preaching of the gospel, even though the scripture is clear and says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that they may never hear the the gospel yet the one determined unto salvation will be saved even though he's never known it and the one destined for hell will be lost simply because of the the determined outcome of all things by god from the creation but i can't necessarily wrap my head around that just honestly speaking I see that God gave Adam an option, that God gave Adam the ability to choose. Elsewise, he wouldn't have been truly free. Elsewise, he would have been simply destined for death at that point to make that fall happen. And, and that God would be um, literally a, a ruler of death, bringing death into the world for the failure of Adam because God had programmed him to fail at that point. Can't wrap my head around that one. So it comes down, needless to say, walking away, certain men have crept in unnoticed. And that that really ought to ring our bell for the rest of the day, is just certain men have crept in unnoticed. How easy it is for people to infiltrate the church with their ideas, with their with their desires, with their passions, with their will, with their with their own directions, with their own uh, ways that, that that draw a whole body in Christ apart from from the truth that, that draw a whole body of Christ that literally bring in separations and divisions and cause church splits and all kinds of of mayhem within the body of Christ that is meant to be united that is meant to be as one in Christ and and it's because these people that, that when the church becomes lax in its faith in God's word when its church becomes lax in its doctrine people just creep in wherever they fit in unnoticed and praise God they're ungodly people 
You say, well, you can't make that distinction. Well, that's one of those problems that have crept in, is that when people say, well, you can't make distinctions between people. You can't say that there are ungodly people. You can't say this. You can't say that. Well, it, you're wrong. We can. For as the gospel speaks, we are commanded to share. We are commanded to speak. And if the gospel calls a person's life out as being ungodly, then that person is ungodly no matter how you feel about it. And if a person's decisions that they're making are poor decisions or ungodly directions, then they must be called out as being ungodly, for the Word of God has called us to notice these things. The Word of God has commanded us to pay attention to each other, to provide accountability for one another. We, we have gone so long in ignoring each other and ignoring the things that we do, that that because we've been told that we're not allowed to to be the judges you know judge not lest you be judged so we just stay away from all of that when that is not the reality of what the gospel reveals we are called to accountability to christ and so being that we are called into accountability to each other and that if we if we pay attention then we can call out issues rather by prayer or rather by by brethren in the church but these guys that Judas writing to have allowed so much to come in unnoticed and that is ultimately going to be the destruction of this place they turn the grace of god into lewdness into a party into entertainment that would be lewdness is the entertainment and they deny the only lord god and our Lord Jesus Christ. And I will uh, I will pick up on Thursday here at Jude 1, verse number 5, because I want to be able to have a good amount of time to finish off the rest of what Jude, Jude has. We'll probably even finish off. We'll get down to verse number 16 on Thursday and then pick up 17 and finish off the chapter uh, on Friday because it's just so much that I don't want to let slide. So many truths, so many words that we need to know and hear. And I'm running out of steam. <laughs> so let us turn to the Lord and ask His blessing upon our time together in prayer. Father, we are grateful for everything that you have done for us today, for revealing to us the, the reality of our common salvation, that we as a people may be able to rejoice together in the reality of it, and that rather the, the Chinese church or the African church or the Americas in the American church, Lord, we're all the same. We worship the same Jesus. We worship the same Father. It's a common salvation. Father, help us to take notice of one another. Help us to pay attention to each other, to watch out for each other, and to call each other out in the potential ungodly areas that we may have creeping up in our lives. For this is what has crept in unnoticed, Lord. The ungodliness of the world has crept into our churches all over this nation, and it's been unnoticed. We have not kept ourselves pure before the Lord, and we are not challenging others to remain pure before the Lord, but that the world has done its perfect work in creeping in to the church, Lord, and and. And we've just turned a blind eye to it. Rather, we didn't want to be accused by others or we didn't want to be 
uh, impacted ourselves. We didn't we didn't want to see the kind of changes that would be necessary for the work of the Lord to be in holiness and righteousness. So we've we've changed things, and Lord, we've allowed it to creep in. Help us, Father, to recognize our need to be able to change the direction of this this reality that we may begin to take notice, that we may begin to take corrective measures for it's not too late. And, Father, that, that we may suffer. Father, we may, we may deal with the loss of people. We may deal with uh, the, the loss of activities. We may deal with the loss of, of, of music. We may deal with the loss of a lot of things. But, Father, in order to be able to get the body healthy to the gospel again, in order to get the body right with God again, is these things may be necessary to lose in order to be able to gain life. So we pray that you will help us to consider our ways, consider all these things today, that you will be able to bring forth the change in us that can change the world. We'll thank you in Jesus' name this day. Amen. All right, guys. God bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you. And I will catch you guys tomorrow for Wisdom Wednesday as we dive into the book of Proverbs. Till then, take care.